Uh, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 20, uh, featuring Mr. Cecil Charles, who's a musician. Uh, I'm Brentley. This is Dan. Dan. And Cecil, do you want to give a little just introduction of yourself? Sure. Uh, so first of all, if you're in the UK, they normally say Cecil. Most people in the United States. Cecil? Cecil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell um, me I'm yeah. doing it wrong. But, but it doesn't, it honestly doesn't matter. It's the same name. Uh, apparently that name means blind, like mm -hmm. the Latin. So, uh, so my go-to joke is apparently Cecil means blind. How did I not see that? <laughs> the dad jokes man by the way i love your dad jokes on twitter I think it's oh, uh, yeah we should definitely yeah. shout out your socials at the beginning yeah, so where people, people can find, find you. you sure um so twitter if you're interested in my uh my dad jokes and my takes on politics <laughs> and my um incessant guerrilla marketing for my music uh twitter is the cecil charles um, the rest of my stuff, I think, is all Cecil Charles official, um, whether you're looking me up on YouTube or Instagram or uh, Venmo is Cecil Charles official. Um, the If you're looking on Spotify or whatever, it's just Cecil Charles. Cool. But, yeah, I'll um, put all those links in the description as well. I, think I found you on the gram already. I followed you the other day. So. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to yes. the channel, Please, and share guys. it with all your friends. We keep oh, forgetting yeah. to remind people <laughs> to do that. I always so. forget to say that in the beginning. Yeah. All right. I mean, I guess we'll we'll kick it off. So, um, I think I'm, I'm yeah, gonna... I like it. Perfect. Nice. Subscribe. <laughs> See, we need to get we need to get something like that. That'll be much more convenient. Just hold it up to the He's screen. Prepared. Look, He's prepared. Dude, look at this. Like this is mid-century modern. Mid-century modern, and I got it at Walmart. Nice. Brilliant. <laughs> Pretty awesome, right? All right. Uh, I'm gonna kick off and just kind of with a question. But um, when did you start playing music? Like, when did you realize like, well, I like doing this. I feel in the right place when I do this. That's a good question. Um, I think, so I was, I've been connected to music since I was a little kid. Um, one of the stories that my parents likes, like to tell is that I was, uh, I had seen the movie Gallipoli, which is this really old Mel Gibson movie, one of his first films all about World War I. I don't think I've seen that one. It's like a really sad story of, of them, you know, sending wave after wave of, of soldiers into battle, all to be just like shot down by machine guns. What was the title uh, again? I, I, I... It's, it's called Gallipoli. Gallipoli. It's, a, it's a place in Turkey, I believe, Gallipoli. Um, and well, it, was a, it was a famous battle. Anyway, the end of that movie, and I think throughout the movie, they, they feature a famous, um, a famous work by Al Bononi called Adagio in G minor. Oh, I love that. And um, it was in the movie. And in the movie, th there's like the, the two main characters are Mel Gibson and this other guy. And they're like track stars before they get uh, drafted to go into the movie. And so they're, they're track stars. And when they're, it shows them training for this, these track and field meets before, you know, they go off to be soldiers. And, um, and one of the guys is always like his mantra is to run as fast as a leopard. And I, I could have been, you know, like five or six years old and this song came on probably on public radio or whatever. Like, you know, I was with my mom in the car and, and uh, they were playing that Adagio in G minor. And I was like, ah, oh, this is from the movie where the kid runs as fast as a leopard, you know, and that was like all I remembered. Um, but, but, you know, I think my parents were like, wow, you know, he, he seems to have a, have a mind for music and that's always been the case. Um, you know, I sang since I was a little kid. I, I picked up the guitar. My dad played guitar, played in bands, never really anything major, but, you know, professionally enough, kind of around town. And my mom sang in choir. And, um, and so I grew up, uh, I would say, musical in the sense that it was something that I loved 
though not necessarily like strictly going to school for music or whatnot. But I, I played the guitar since I was nine and I'd been singing, you know, before that. And it wasn't until, probably wasn't until I started really taking lessons and learning about music theory in early to mid high school that I, that I realized how much I like, I liked learning about music. And even though I still didn't ever go to school for music, there's something I think very beautiful about how um, how no notes relate to each other and how chords are built and which notes and melodies work over which chords and that kind of thing. And that's all, that all sounds kind of nerdy, but the whole point of this is like, I, I always liked it. And then um, once I hit the end of high school and then got into college, I started songwriting. And so for me, that was, um, you know, that was something new. I'd played, I'd learned to play, you know, Eric Clapton songs or the Beatles or things like that, you know, that I grew up listening to some jazz. Um, but it wasn't until I think I started songwriting that I realized that I could create my own thing. Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, that's an interesting step for any artist who is learning some craft is starting to do their own thing. And so it was, you know, through college and, and then ever since that I've just been writing a lot. Um, and, and so I, I went to the Naval Academy. I graduated in 2004, um, and I didn't end up spending much time active duty in the Navy. They had a surplus of junior officers. And so a bunch of us ended up just going into the reserves and not having to do the full five-year commitment that most people have to do. Um, and so I ended up going back thank to school. You for and your service. Sorry again? Thank you for your service. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, uh, like I said, I, I was reserves, active reserves for a couple years. So I did, you know, a weekend a month and two weeks in the summer and whatnot. But, um, but it wasn't the normal career path for an academy grad. Um, but I ended up going back to school and got my master's in business. So I kept doing things other than music. Yeah. And there was some point um, in probably 2010 or so that I, that I just, decided to dive in and was going to go out and like play my own stuff at open mics or whatever and and figure out what that was to like take my own music and make a name for myself as a musician and awesome. that became super fun and I got I got the interest of because my songs are pretty jazzy uh even though again I didn't go to school for music I'm not a jazz player but it's not always necessary was, man it's not always necessary you know I, I, I play drums I started at 12 okay um, i thought about going into college for it but i couldn't get into a music program because i don't sight read right so i ended up studying writing and majoring in that but i think the key to being what you are as a musician is it's in you you pick you pick the instrument up and you just you don't put it down because it, it speaks to you there's something in you that's compelled to do it so i think whether or not you go to a school and you study the theory and all of that stuff it's it's important, sure, and, and I think it will definitely make someone more technically proficient as a musician, but man, some of the best musicians I, I know in my life are all self-taught. None of them, you know, went to school, so. Yeah, and, you know, I think, I think there's something to be said for the fact that we don't know where creativity comes from. Yeah, it's mysterious, yeah. It's, it's totally mysterious, and I think a lot of people who don't spend a lot of time being creative, they don't necessarily realize that for creators like us, it's just as mysterious. I mean, yeah. There's nothing. We don't even understand where the ideas come from. They just come no. somewhere, you know, I think well, that's, I mean, that's why it's so it. deeply related to like religion often and spirituality and stuff like that, because it's, it's almost symbolically like the, the creator himself. Right. It's like this need to create is something very deeply human. I, yeah, I fully agree. And I think that, um, I think we are, 
I mean, a lot of a, a lot of existential philosophy is like trying to get you to take a look at your own thoughts and where they come from and, yeah. and helping you realize that you don't even really know why your thoughts pop into your head, you know, and so ev that's that's true for everybody. We're all sitting around like thinking we have a, a grasp on what's going on in reality when in truth it's like all of these things that pop into our head kind of just popped into our head and i just said that just now not really knowing why yeah. i just said that you know but creativity is is the same thing and maybe it seems more so that way because people are kind of so they believe that they're in control of their thoughts and i think creativity is one of those things where the more you do it the more you realize that you just kind of put yourself in the right mindset or you put yourself in the in the space um and then you just like leave yourself there yeah. <laughs> for a while it's like a just, flow state that you kind yeah. of access and, and you so, may not even one of my favorite things is improv you know i that's right. why i like improv so much although it's definitely a different mindset as a musician than say writing a song and structuring a song. Um, I think you really need to be able to do both. You know, need to be able to like have that organization to structure a song, but the song itself comes from that mysterious space where I think improv comes from. Oh, completely. So I mean, for me, it's like, if I, when I hear a melody, it's usually because it's like popped into my head either from nowhere or I've heard like yeah. a shred of something else. A piece of something else. Yeah. Same thing with me, like a rhythm. New. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, as long as, as long as when I hear something that I think has quality, um, that I then go like sing it into my phone. I use my voice memo, like my thousands of voice memos on my phone of me like humming you know, probably at like two o'clock in the yeah. morning. It's like, yeah. mm -hmm. it sounds terrible, you know, but it's me singing into my phone so mm -hmm. that next morning I can- I have a friend who does the same exact thing. He has like <laughs> a whole phone full of just recorded notes of like random little tidbits of ideas from throughout right. the day, yeah. And at least the, the voice memo used to just like label voice memos, like voice memo one, voice memo two. And now it's just labeling them based on where you are geographically, like what street mm -hmm. you're on. And so you have to like remember like, oh yeah, this was the melody that came into my head when I was walking down so-and-so street at this time on this day exactly exactly so <laughs> there's something cool um, about that too though that you know tech is able to kind of record when you record the exact time and place where the spark initiated you know it's i mean i don't know how music i don't know how musicians did it 100 years ago <laughs> you know i mean especially you and me like I, we're both i'm not great at sight reading either yeah and so um you know for me it's like I don't have that tool set to, to, I couldn't just go write down what I hear. You know, I, I need to be able to create it either with my own voice or get on a guitar and, and figure out what I'm, what I'm hearing. And if I, I see it and if I hear it, even just hearing it, like, you know, if I'm listening to a song, often I am visualizing what the drummer is doing. Like I can, I can see it in my head, what they're doing just based on, on listening to it, but obviously seeing it too, you know, that's that's kind of how I grasped. I learned in garages, man, and jamming with my friends in garages in high school, the old school way, like right. where you just picked up the instrument and you just you sucked and you sucked and you sucked and you sucked until eventually you slowly started to not suck as much. And the next thing you know, you're like, well, I'm actually pretty decent at this now. So one of my favorite um, quotes by a musician. Are you familiar with Victor Wooten? He's a bass player. Um, really talented bass player bands plays with like Bela Fleck. Who's like that really crazy uh, banjo player, like super jazzy banjo. Not familiar. You're going to have to link me later. Yeah. I'll send you a link. Victor Wooten also played with Dave Matthews quite a bit. Um, okay. yeah. Anyway, just 
incredible bass player. And he was talking about his childhood and like the family house music environment that he grew up in. And he was saying, you know how people, when they learn a language, like they're, they're just encouraged to immediately, even if they only know one word as a child, you know, as a speak it. babbling infant, they're, they're encouraged to use everything that they can and just to talk and to experiment and to use language. And he said, most of the time in our culture, um, when people are learning music, they're, they're not encouraged to just play. They're, they're encouraged to practice, 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 to get to a certain level to where, you know, everybody agrees they're competent enough to then actually play alongside the other people I, who may be playing. I've seen, so, many, I've seen many people quit just from right. following that route, you know, because they get so discouraged. Whereas, you know, I gave up the whole rock star dream, but I think that's partly why I enjoy music so much. You know, I never, I never approached it with this idea that I have to be the best. I always just, I wanted to sit down and play it because it, it helped relieve stress. It brought me a lot of joy. You know, it brought me a sense of community. I've met so many like interesting, fascinating people throughout my life, just from sitting down and playing music with them, you know, and it could, it could have even been a moment and you never forget those people that you like connect it with musically. Like I've described it to others who don't play music before as kind of like, like a spiritual form of sex almost. It's like, (laughs) it's like you sit down and you have this sort of mysterious, like euphoric experience with someone and, and it could be once. And you could even forget their name, but if you met that person again, you would never forget them for the rest of your life. You'd be like, you're that person that I sat down and we jammed out and, and we had this like deep connection. (laughs) So I fully agree. And I think that there's something in, in beauty itself, whether it's music or something else, I think there is something there that creates, creates a feeling of meaning for human beings. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, we can get into this conversation, sure. which I kind of was hoping that we would, but I, I yeah, absolutely. that things like th- things that are beautiful, and that's a tough thing to define, I understand, but it, there is something about experiencing beauty and that being a, a specific way in which to create meaning, meaning in your life. Yeah. And um, th- I, I recently... So Clifton Duncan, if, if you guys are interested, especially as, as artists, I, you know, I didn't know your artistic background, but he created a, uh, a little Twitter group where, you know, for artists and all of us kind of talking about what it's like to be artists in this day and age. And, yeah, and LinkedIn, man. I would, I would and, love to uh, peek in on that and, and join. Yeah. Well, one of the I, things I've always been creative, man, like I, I was drawing since I was a little kid. I yes. tried to write my first novel when I was 10. <laughs> so, you know, and I picked up the drumsticks at 12 and I just never put them down. And like I said, I do think it's like for, for humans in general, but definitely if you're, we're going to look at like psychology and temperament and I don't know if you're into Peterson and all of that and like the big five, but there's definitely something about certain people that they just have this creative inclination that compels them to do it. And if, and if you were to stop them from doing it, they would be like, like uh, plants that aren't getting any sun and nourishment. We would wither and we would die. Like we have to do it. You know, it's so funny. I said the same thing. One of my best friends, uh, I talked, I was talking to him last night about how it's sustenance. Like it's food for our being is, is whatever that meaning or whatever that thing is that we get out of either being creators or enjoying something that has like aesthetic quality to it. Um, 
and, and that was that was what I was going to say is like Clifton shared this. Um, I think they took it down from YouTube, but it's on BitChute still. But it's a Roger Scruton documentary. It's like an hour long documentary. And he was he was a very famous philosopher in Britain, I want to say, over the last 30 years or so. Um, Douglas Murray interviewed Roger Scruton. That's an amazing yeah, interview. Um, Murray's book right here. Right. Yeah, exactly. So so, you know, Douglas Murray and Roger Scruton were uh, contemporaries, though. I think Roger Scruton died within the last five or 10 years. But um all that to say, like he did this documentary about beauty and how how culturally there was a point where we started deciding that beauty was or that art was more of a concept than actually something something like it was a, it was enough for us to simply say that is art because I say it's art. Mm-hmm. And and he one of the big examples that he used was um I don't remember the name of the person who did this, but it was a famous thing where they basically just put a urinal, like an overturned urinal in a museum and said, that was, this is art. Wasn't that Man Ray? Was that Man Ray? I know it. I forget, but I know what you're talking that about. That was like the Dada movement, I think. I'm going to just look up Dada toilet. I'm sure. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And just like a uh, box on the ground, like that's art. You okay, know? And, so it's called Fountain. Uh, and it's a ready-made sculpture by Marcel Duchamp. Duchamp. Yeah, okay. and it was like 1917. It consists of a porcelain urinal signed R. Mutt. <laughs> Interesting. R. Mutt, exactly. Yeah. So that whole documentary, I mean, I'm, you know, that was the first time I think I'd seen it put so eloquently about like, this is what we used to consider beauty. And then there came a point in time where we decided that our old concepts about beauty were limiting or not enough or whatever. And you had this kind of Anti-counterculture art, yeah. exactly. And 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 what Scruton's point was like, we're left with these things that we're told are art, but they're not having the effect that beauty has on us. They're not having that that meaning. Yeah, exactly. power, you know. Right. It's why a classic becomes a classic. Right. You know, it's exactly. why it's why even when all the years pass, we still tar- talk about those very few things that have that staying power you know and it goes for painting it go it goes for any art form i think novels you know yeah and you know so i'm just i'm in this um i'm I'm into thinking about those things because it seems like it's all related it's all related to the growing sense of of nihilism and cynicism yeah that we see in all other aspects of our society too and, um, especially right now, man. Especially, yeah, especially right now. And you know, oh, I, we'll get into oh that gosh, stuff so too. Like, I like little, like Lil Nas X is like a perfect example <sighs> of that that I see. I just can't stand. I, can't. I mean, look, to, to each their own. If that's the shit you're into, that's the shit you're into. Oh, but frankly, I think these people, a lot of them in the pop Hollywood world, are just massive narcissists more than they are artists. And and I'm not saying that artists aren't narcissistic actually right. many artists are like it is a very self-centered type of thing to pursue although my personal opinion is it doesn't have to be i think it should be a mm-hmm. mixture of both it should be personal but it should be also transcendental your art should be able to tap into something universal otherwise yeah we could ask is it art or is it not art but these people like Lil Nas X it's like stop giving them your money man stop giving them your attention stop like just what was that other guy what was this other guy who just recently uh grimes announced that he's planning to purchase a plan yeah little little uzi burt okay, whoever yeah. that is i worked in a school with zoomers so i know this shit <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to purchase what a planet 
Yeah, he's buying a. Uh, how you can do that? I don't know how don't he's doing know. it. I don't know what he's paying. I don't, I don't know who know. he's paying, but Grimes announced that this guy was uh, processing paperwork to be the first person to legally own a planet. It's a a gas giant exoplanet, which means it doesn't even it's not even it's, in a solar system, and it's a gas giant larger than Jupiter, which means you could never actually like land yeah, on it or do anything with it. Again, to each their own. If that's how you want to flex your wealth and your money, but it's like, what the hell are you doing for humanity? And it's like people are criticizing Elon, and yeah, I understand that not Elon, but uh, Bezos. And I understand the criticisms there, but at least he's like advancing tech and like doing something of note. You just paid a whole bunch of money to say you own a planet that you'll never be able to get to anyway. So right. it's like, this is the type of shit I think that that ruins art, you know? And, and then the kids are growing up and thinking these are the artists, you know? And it's like, no, these are corporate shills. These are, <laughs> these, mean, these the are people put before like... us and, and the hype is generated around them. But if you, if you stripped away the costumes, if you stripped away all, all the fancy stage stuff, how much sustenance is really there, you know? Right. Well, so what I don't know is, you know, my, my ignorance is, have we always had shitty narcissistic art forms alongside the quality ones? Like probably they always been there throughout, throughout humanity. Through probably. History? But I think, I think there was definitely in the past, I think things were a little more meritocratic and that, you know, something spread around because it had that staying power. Whereas now because of the internet, because of the dominance of say the, the corporate world and how it's tied into the internet, they could take someone and and make them famous just by simply promoting them, whether or not they're really talented or not. So, so to be fair, like that may make them famous, but I don't know that it would keep their their song or their piece of art or whatever true. around like for fifteen minutes years, of fame, you know, hundred years. Like, yeah, you know, they'll be famous in the moment. I think that sure. the I think media and corporations have that power to influence yes. people, but I mm-hmm. but I still don't know. I mean, I I still think that humans are somehow. I think we're discerning of yeah. good versus bad or like quality versus time will quality. tell, you know? Yeah. And I think time is the test of time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I think the, the thing is about, about conversations like these is I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what the answer is because, you know, we're not going to go in and forbid people from making certain yeah, kinds no. of art or so maybe we should. No, I, mean, <laughs> I, I think Cecil's right. I think if we just approach kidding, it Daniel. in like no, a aristocratic way, I think it, you know, the real art will have that same power. It'll speak for itself. You don't really have to like stop the shitty artists from making the shitty art, but there's definitely a culture that seems now, at least, that seems to favor superficiality, that seems to you know look for that. And that's what will gain you the audience. And once you gain the audience, yes, they're gonna pick you up and promote you and put you on every platform and then dismiss other people who say might be doing something way deeper and way more profound, but maybe they don't look as pretty. Maybe, you know, maybe they're not as shocking and doing something to, you know, get that shock value. Like we mentioned Grimes, she does a lot of shock value things. Personally, I actually like a lot of her music. She kind of grew on me and I do think she's really creative and talented. Okay. But I I think we do have a, a music culture now where they're looking for shock value. You know, it's why Lil Nas X riding on a pole, you know, and like pumping Satan, pumping Satan is like getting all the attention. And <laughs> well, I mean, I think as you said this just a few minutes ago, it's like our culture that is interested in superficiality. Yeah. And so I think that's because that's because our culture is 
is a group of people who maybe on mass or at least the people who are most vocal are ones who who for whatever reason i'm not sure why they haven't had that experience or maybe they haven't had it recently enough to remember of of feeling the divine or feeling god or feeling whatever you want to call it when you're interacting with something incredibly beautiful yeah because like when you have that it's like having sex with somebody that you love yeah like having loving sex is so much better than just having sex. Like, even if you're like doing whatever. like your yeah. fantasy whatever it is you want to do it's it's completely different than having an emotional attachment to the person who you're then doing something intimate and physical with yeah and like w- once you've had that you're like okay that's where that's that's where it's at you know like that's what i'm looking everything at. else will seem subpar after everything that. else seems subpar or at least you know everything else seems less less of a real desire less of a, a real goal like maybe you still have fun with whatever it is whether it's an art form or casual sex it doesn't matter but the point is like you you know in your heart there's this other thing that you really want to go for and you know as an as an artist i feel that way um i'm 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 hesitant to classify my, classify my genre i'm hesitant to like Same. market I myself in a specific that. way like you know sex appeal or whatever like because the thing that i want to be the thing that stands out is some aspect of my my writing or my songwriting or whatever that is that makes people feel something amazing in themselves that has nothing to do with me you know or my look or whatever i want it to be something else because because i've had that experience with it i'm sorry but i think that's why these like big pop star artists have to be fluffed up with all the costumes and special effects and big budget music and the sexy and the sexy because it's when you like i said when you really strip all that away how much substance is there in the music the music itself i don't think would stand on its own so they have to, uh, you know, inflate it. With put all a circus this. around yeah, it. Yeah, they have to put a circus around it. And, and that's, you know, what gives it that, I guess, that mass appeal. But it's, I, what staying power is it going to have? You know, time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. And, um, and I think, though, that our, our strategy is to tell, is to say what we're saying right now. Like mm-hmm. to say this over and over in as yeah. many different ways as we can, that there's this other thing out there. Like, hey, leftists, you think the world is all about power and, you know, there's, you're certain that there's no God. And, and again, like we, we bring up God and everybody gets defensive because everybody has a specific idea of what they think God is or what they think God is definitely not, you know, and they're like, this is what I've been told God is and I definitely don't think it's that. So there must be no God or whatever that exists. But we're ultimately like, we're, we're surrounded by a bunch of people who think that there's no meaning, that it, life is only about power. And it's like, I'm sorry, but no. There's there's something so much more interesting to life than your shitty little, you know. The, the radicals, are, the radicals are very miserable people. I've come to exactly. that more and more as I've gotten older. And you know, I, I was I was a little more, I guess, SJW-ish when I was younger and in college. Sure. But you know, we've said it on the show before. It is it's natural for young people to want to change the world. And once you start to become aware and learn things you see the suffering, you see that there is evil in the world, you see that there are things that need to change to some extent or be fixed. So it's natural that you want to do it. The problem is they do it backwards. You know, they they don't realize they have to start with themselves, they have to develop themselves, they have to, you know, become a strong, unique individual first, and then you can project that out into the world and make changes. They rush right into criticizing the world. 
and then they, they can't even pick their fucking clothes up off the floor. Well, a lot of <laughs> too is my suspicion. A lot of these kids that have very, you know, dark nihilistic sort of sentiments, they have unprocessed trauma that's either repressed yep. or they just incorporated it's a lack of meaning their, their whole worldview. Yeah. And so they, they don't understand that there are other things out there that there are like, be- there is beauty out there. It's just, they don't have the opportunity. And because they're so young and inexperienced, their view of the world is so warped. Yeah. There are rare exceptions, I you are, of course. I think you're correct. I just I think it's bigger than that. I think it's bigger than young people being inexperienced. You know, I think it's because look at how many people are influenced by those young vocal activists yeah. and are willing to go along and you know mm-hmm. change our society in a huge way. Or ignore else. it while it's happening. Or ignore that it. It's right. not, you know. And I think that's because we're not telling a great story in our society. We don't even tell a great story about like why America and representative democracy is such a good thing. Well, and, like that's a battle country. happening now for the narrative of the country and what it really, what it really means. It's on one side, you know, I guess you'll have the super conservative types who think, you know, America's the best and it's untouchable and beyond criticism. And then the other side, it's like America's inherently racist and evil and it's just evil and it's not savable. We need to just destroy the whole system and the truth somewhere in the middle you know and right. I, that's where we're going to find it we have to realize there are things worth conserving and then there are things where yes we need to perhaps rearrange the chairs a bit and and figure out how we can change things balance you know balance well i think because nobody's talking about why it is we have representative democracy yeah like what purpose it serves and and it, it didn't really even click for me until this last year but the thing about representative democracy you you have to even go back before that you have to look at history and see the the truth of that statement that says that as you get more power you become more corrupted that power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely i mean that that may not be a hard and fast statement that it's always true in every case but it certainly seems to be the case in a large way that you give people the ability to do whatever they want and there's no social boundary or groups of people who are telling them they can't or you're keeping them in line. And the human being, when it has no boundaries, can spiral off into some dark places and people do some really dark shit. Thinking of like Lord of the Flies right now, and which exactly. is you know, still probably a more extreme example and you know, I don't, I don't think it, things are that dark, but I understand what you mean. You know, there, there is a reason we have social order and that there is a community to, even if you're not passing laws, but to at least put a sort of moral pressure, like Jordan Peterson talks about this, you know, but like a moral pressure or an expectation that, hey, like there are certain values that we need to conserve because that's how we've created this and how we sustain it. Well, you know, otherwise, it'll fall values, apart. I think you're right. And I think, but I think that's even like a slightly separate not separate discussion, but it's like a, a second note of this discussion. Because I think the first thing is just to say, like, psychologically, humans are not great at at um, controlling themselves if they have no boundaries. And so this thing called representative democracy basically pits everybody against each other such that we keep any one person or any one organization or whatever from staying in power power. for too staying in power for too long that was the intention at least that well exactly that's the intention and of course every system can be corrupted will be corrupted 
um, you know, but but the cons, I guess the concept of it, it's like, what's the alternative? What's the alternative other than trying to give people the, the greatest amount of freedom while also realizing we can create this structure that keeps people, it's kind of like crabs trying to like climb out of a bucket. You know, we, we, we're all keeping one crab from getting too powerful because we're all able to pull that crab back down mm. into, into society, you know, and that crab doesn't get to become a totalitarian or a dictator or whatever. And so that the crab analogy, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, some people use lobsters. I'm partial to crabs, but I'm partial to crabs. <laughs> it's oh, not man. a condition. Don't worry, folks. So I, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about like some of your musical influences, like who, who are your favorite bands, your favorite musicians um, that could be from any genre. Sure. I listen to a lot of different genres. So. Oh, me too. Me too. Um, yeah. So I was, I was raised on, I would say the Beatles as like my first and foremost band that I really got into. And I think that's a great place for anybody to start because not only are they really talented, but they play in all sorts of genres yeah. and they, they obviously loved all kinds of music and let it influence their writing. And so for me that, you know, I also love all kinds of music. So, I mean, Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, you know, jazz players who as singers and, and musicians, yeah. um, Nina Ellington, you know, John Coltrane, like yes. uh, in a sentimental Miles mood. Davis. Yeah. In Miles Davis. In a sentimental mood, I think is is my favorite, um, my favorite jazz standard. So I love jazz. I love funky things. Um, so you know, it's it's interesting. There's a there's a neo soul artist named Lewis Taylor who was who was getting big right around the same time as like Jamiroquai. So like oh, yeah. late late nineties, early two thousands, kind of that time when neo soul was having its revival. And uh, anyway, Lewis Taylor, he kind of I would say he's more talented than Prince, and a lot of people are going to get mad at me for saying <laughs> that. But but that's probably because they haven't listened to Lewis Taylor. But the dude was like Marvin Gaye and the Beach Boys, Rob Marvin Gaye and Prince, like all rolled into one. He had like kind of a prog rock side of him, and then I he love prog like rock, funky. Then you would love Lewis Taylor. I mean, yeah. amazing voice, amazing. I have harmony. to check it out. I have to check yeah. it out. And, yeah, and just I'm like big fan of that stuff. Pink Floyd, Rock. Oh yeah. You know, I love like rest in peace, Neil. <laughs> yeah. I was so devastated by that news of Neil Peart dying. Is, I wonder, is it L O U I S or is it L E W? Uh, sorry, L E W I S Taylor T A Y L O R. Save him yeah. for later. Go back yeah, and check British multi instrumentalist. Yeah. yeah, no, I haven't heard of him either. But um, yeah, Daniel was probably like 10 when Jamiroquai came out. And I'm, I'm like eight I'm years 30 old. Now, I'm 38. So. He's yeah. 31. You're going to be 31? I'll be 31 in September. I'll be 31 in September, right? Um, so. I'm, I'm 38 also. Oh, oh, you and Brenda are the same age. Nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 1982? May 3rd. May 3rd. Okay, I'm November 4th. It's two days before my mom's. She's May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. There you go. Cool. It's a, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good month. Um, so also, let's see, Michael Hedges, if you're not familiar with him, he's, he was one of the first acoustic guitarists like in the 80s to start doing like all of the percussive tapping up and down on the fretboard. If you've seen I love that stuff. Where they're, where they're yeah. doing that and they have like all sorts Michael of tunings. So that As a drummer, that I'm a sucker for that stuff. <laughs> Percuss yeah. Michael Hedges. Michael Hedges. But <laughs> I would say that even though he like kind of spearheaded a lot of the technical side of the stuff, he was 
he's just amazing because oh, look of at his hair. He's as a composer like his music is so incredibly beautiful and people who have done what he does technically since then i think rarely get to the composing side of what he does because i mean he was he was genius yeah my, my tastes are so all over the place like i listen to metal a lot oh, yeah. <laughs> i grew up on a lot of metal so sure. like i can be so neurotic sometimes with my music taste like sometimes i'm in a mood to like put on kind of blue and then other times i'm in the mood for something heavy you know well, like tool you know yeah i love tool i'm you know big fan of them yeah, melodic metal to me, I think is fantastic. Yeah. Like when it's screaming. Well, I even like death metal. I even, I like yeah. that stuff. I know a lot of people don't, but I think, I think it has a place in music. And the reason I think that is that I think music should, like any good art form, have the ability to express the full range of human emotions and also the full range of sounds. And, and that even includes more discordant sort of sounds, mm -hmm. which you might need to represent certain emotions like anger or frustration and i think metal does that better than than other genres can do and obviously it's not everyone's cup of tea and my grandma couldn't stand it still can't <laughs> like growing up she'd be like what is this noise and i'd be like grandma it's not noise it's art <laughs> do, you, do you guys watch downton abbey at all i i do i didn't finish it though but my friend antonio shout out to antonio his birthday was yesterday um him and i bonded and over that show so <laughs> i it's i think it's an amazing show yeah. it's one of those like i think most men are like maybe less immediately interested yeah. to watch it because it's just about like these social classes yeah, and we laugh at like the rich people problems like oh, right, right. oh there's a button missing from my dinner jacket what am i going to do it's a disaster that's a downtown abbey problem you know oh uh, no the the you know the prince of so-and-so is coming and i can't find my smoking jacket <laughs> Well, there's so there's this one scene where they're they have jazz being played for the Death first time, Street yeah, for the yeah. first time. I remember, and um, Violet, the grandmother, yeah, she's the, like, what is this? She's like, she's like, do you think any of the musicians know what the other musicians are playing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just so funny because it's like, too. she's great. <laughs> you think about like classical music up until that point, and it's like all very or orchestrated, ha ha ha. Also, then, really quick, how is Maggie Smith still like alive in that show? Like, like how she's still alive now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, how is her character still she's alive in that 90s, show? Like, because right? like when the show starts, it's like right uh, like before the Titanic sank, and then before World War One kicks off, and she's already old as hell. And then like they go into 1920s into the 30s, and I'm like, how are you still alive as a character? Like, didn't kill you off yet? Oh, she's born in. I recently went and looked her up. I was like, what did she look like as a young person? Because she's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, she was beautiful, but I was like, I've I have no idea who this person. She's always looked like she looks. Yeah, I mean, even back in Harry Potter and whatnot, yeah. like in, from before. But uh, anyway, the, I think the funny part of that joke was just like, you know, music is very orchestrated, and then jazz—they're all doing different stuff. And, yes. and her comment, like, do, do they even know what the other person's playing? It, but that's what I like so much. It's funny because it's like she does, she's not able to to hear that as as quality or as value in some way. It shows their Britishness too, you know, because I think personally jazz is one of the like greatest, most American things yeah. come out yeah. of America, you know, an American art form, true and true, you know? Well, and even jazz though, you know, it's interesting. You know, I mean, jazz is so many things. It's yeah. like one word for way too much, but yeah, um, you know, even jazz, you know, you listen to, I, I'm more partial to like a jazz standard because I like 
I like to hear people do their best to like play the head of the song as it's called, you know, like the main melody. And then they'll like, if you listen to old Billie Holiday recordings, they'll like have, it's, it'll just be instrumental playing the main melody all the way through. And then she'll come in and then she'll actually sing the verse and do it. And then, and then it'll be done. It'll be like a two and a half minute song. And it's just interesting to hear like how creative they can be kind of within sometimes less slightly more, more structured, you know, like, so. like that, you know, having to try to condense, you know, your idea, what you want to say into these small, this small space, which so. is very different than like an 11 minute yes. miles solo. Or but I love that stuff too. You I know? love it too. Like, yeah, I'm exactly. into Prague and like my favorite metal bands, like between the buried and me are really weird, but they have like freaking like, like 17 minute songs and okay. I like Devin Townsend. I don't know if you know Devin Townsend. I don't. I've heard the you name. Should. You should. He, he's, okay. to me, one of the most underrated musical geniuses of our era. I would love to get him on the show. You, and cannot, you cannot pin that man down. To <laughs> yes, I can't put him into a genre because he's done all of it. He, you know, he's influenced by everything from death metal to like J-pop. Crazy like, Canadians. <laughs> and Speaking like, of getting musicians on a show which one of the podcasters is going to get eric clapton on their show i don't know i would love to chat with him though that i mean we don't have much of an audience yet to give him right (laughs) i understand but i'm just like we have we're all kind of in this community together of these heterodox thinkers and we have all these podcasts that we all love and they're like forces to be reckoned with now in this world and all of a sudden we've got eric clapton over here kind of taking a stand yeah, he hasn't chatted it's like one yet let's it'll get him rogan. on one of these it'll, podcasts let's it'll pull probably the, be rogan yeah we'll see yeah it'll probably be rogan or peterson if i had to guess yeah but uh but still i mean it's like i want that to happen because yeah, one of the things that um that nicole arbor was talking about was when she interviewed jordan peterson they had had a conversation and i don't know the full details of this but apparently jordan peterson was approached by omega watches to be a, a, a person on the billboard for Omega Watches, like as one of their, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like not a spokesperson or whatever. Or... or yeah, to be sponsored by Omega Watches. And and I think in the course of the Nicole Arbor, Jordan Peterson conversation, he had he said that he had turned down that offer or something like this. I could be totally misremembering it. But her main point was like, we need to have our intellectual heroes on billboards on the side of buildings like we need to have these people who we i mean we all look up to we're spending hours and hours and hours of our lives every week listening to these people talk about in-depth interesting things and and that means a lot to us we need to take that next step and say we're going to make these people cultural icons yeah because yeah, it's what happened with it's like the gina carano phenomenon right she gets canceled and and this was one of the points that a lot of the counterculture was making like well if they're going to cancel these people and push them out of the mainstream what we should be doing is elevating them and, and putting them up and saying well you, this is an example of the type of famous person we need right now so exactly. i agree i agree with you i mean i don't have enough money to sponsor a billboard but <laughs> No, but I mean, you know, if Omega Watches was approaching Jordan Peterson and he's controversial, you know, then I think other businesses, some businesses are going to be open to that. And we we as a community need to like encourage each other and encourage our champions, if you want to call them that, to lean into that, to like, let's make, let's show people how, it sounds so pretentious, but like, let's show people how cool we are. Like we're the ones, (laughs) we're the ones who are, interested in life we're the ones who are talking about having 
semi-orgasmic experiences. Finding meaning. Finding meaning is finding meaning. Like I don't know if you've read Viktor Frankl. I always shout Viktor Frankl out because I think he's I very, have not, but yes, yeah. man's read man's search for meaning. I like I impress that upon anyone who will listen. But there's this big misconception in our culture that what we're pursuing is happiness. Happiness, mm-hmm. happiness. Everyone wants happiness. It's like no, what you need, as Peterson said, is a burden worthy of you something bigger than you that you can lift and carry and build up, which will bring a sense of meaning to your life. It won't always be fun and it won't always make you happy because that's not the point. Happiness is sort of like a, and like a, an extra thing that'll come with it. If you're, if you're lucky and you're successful, but ultimately it's going to be a lot of blood, sweat and tears and it won't, won't always be a happy experience, but it will be meaningful. And I think, yeah. A, a tragic movie or a sad song it doesn't necessarily make you happy but it definitely yeah. like gives you value yeah you, you feel know, this is important me, like what i just words. saw what i just heard is important you can't even articulate why it's important right it, it might be you know related to that that general narrative structure like you know the archetypes and all that union i mean i don't know how much is true about all that but that's why these you know, classics, you know, the novels, the stories, for example, that stay with us have that staying power. It's like, there's this deep sense of meaning that we can't quite explain, but it's there. And you know it because when you read a good book or hear a good song, you feel I'm, I'm in the right place. Like, <laughs> Well, frankly, I mean, we are, we all have this experience of, you know, we were popped into this existence Right. It's it's easy for us to imagine that we were like put into the existence from somewhere else because all of a sudden we essentially wake up here. Maybe we chose to be here. And we're aware of the fact that we're going to die. And so we it's very easy to say, okay, I'm I'm just this temporary thing that's like a stranger to the world. I I I don't feel like I necessarily fit here. I know that I'm temporary because I I know enough as I get older, like I see people die. I know that that's gonna be me. And I think that it's easy to like to stop there and not search anymore and to simply take this nihilistic view of life like it's, it all ends in death anyway. You know, whereas that's, that's, that's whereas why the thing talk. that we're talking about, like the meaning, in my opinion, is is the other half of this whole story. It's so, the other half of like, yes, we are impermanent, or at least this version of us is impermanent. And yet there are there are these things that we can experience in life that we experience through hard work or through somebody yeah. else's hard work or through or whatever that that make us realize that hey not only does val- does life have a value that's that's inherent in it i mean shit you can just like spend time looking at a leaf on a yeah. tree and you can spend enough time looking at that and being like god this is beautiful you know? It gives you a reason to keep going. And, gives, exactly. You know, and back back to Frankel, but this was the thing he was really trying to get to in, in this book. So Victor Frankel survived uh, concentration camps right. and when he was a psychiatrist. So when the Nazis took over and all that happened, he was pulled away from his research and his work, and separated from his families and thrust into this horrible place where he witnessed the most horrible things you could possibly imagine. Being a psychiatrist, you know, while he's in this place and suffering, he started to people watch and analyze and watch the other prisoners. And what he was trying to figure out was what was the difference between those who kept going and those who just gave up 
you know, and naturally that's not always going to be the determining factor, obviously in a situation like that, whether or not you die, I'm sure there are plenty of people who did not give up and were pulled into the gas chamber anyway. Right. But he, he saw many of these prisoners just lose all hope and will to live and just wither away and give up. And he wanted to try to understand what was it. And he found it was that sense of meaning, the people who kept going and struggled, they had something that they wanted to live for for him it was his work he he he's like i need to get back to my work because it's important and he took the situation he was in and he actually made it part of his work um Mm -hmm. but other people you know it was like i I need to find my wife you know i need to get back to my kids i need whatever it was it was something beyond them something bigger than them that they had to continue for and i think that's what that sense of meaning is It's, it's the thing that keeps us going through the suffering through the bullshit through the fact that like you said, we're just kind of thrust into this experience. We have no idea what the hell it is and where we're going. And we know we're going to die. So we know it's definitely going there. So it's easy to become nihilistic if you right. don't have that Speak sense of Speak for yourself, meaning. mortals. Yeah. <laughs> I plan to live forever. Brent thinks he's going to live forever. It's not going to happen, Brent. You never know. Um, Cecil, do you want to play? Is this a good time? you want to play a song? Well, I wanted, before you play, I wanted to go over... The, the recent situation that happened with you sure. yeah of course because you know we we talked about peterson and we're talking about this this cultural divide that we're seeing and and this this cancel culture right if you like that term or prefer that term and it's it's crazy to see how it's affecting even just regular people like us who aren't say these big famous people in all of these really small ways in our own personal lives. So you recently had a show scheduled, correct? Correct, yeah. And this was at a venue in Virginia? Uh, a venue in North Carolina. North Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, yeah, a venue called Little Brother Brewing. And um, the long and the short of it was I had booked the gig maybe a month and okay. a week ago or so. And this was a gig that was supposed to happen last Saturday, so a week ago. Um, and basically, you know, I had, I'd, I've never even been in that bar. I had, I, I knew where it was. It was a nice little bar. I, I don't drink anymore. So it's like, I don't tend to party and go to bars as much as, as I used to. Um, but all that to say, like, I had reached out to them because I knew they had music. I had only interacted with them via email, but had booked the gig after sending them examples of my music and whatnot. I don't send out my Twitter when I'm booking gigs because I'm, I know that I'm opinionated and on twitter so that means they had to look you up but exactly so so they started promoting me about a week prior to the show you know and they had me on their instagram and links to my stuff and um you know they were promoting the show and promoting me and um and then two days prior to the the show so the thursday before the saturday i was at an open mic playing in greensboro to go promote the fact that i'd be playing an actual show and and let people know who i was and uh, and having finished the open mic, I, I get back and um, on my phone is this email saying, hey, the we've canceled Saturday's event conflict of interest it was all they said. Hmm. I was like, OK. And I, so I responded immediately like conflict of interest. Please elaborate. Yeah. Like, I'm, here to explain. A, I'm here at another show, like promoting there are people interested, you know, in coming to this show. So and so the next morning, so then Friday, so one day prior, he got back to me and, and said, uh, yeah, well, some patrons of ours had looked up um, your comments on social media and had and sent them to us. And, um, you know, you're you're welcome to use your voice. I don't remember the exact wording, but it's basically you're, you're welcome to use your voice, but we can't encourage you by booking you. 
and and they never said specifically what which of my comments or any specific comment was the one that was so yeah. deplorable. Probably easy for us to get or assume what what the types of comments are. Oh yeah, I mean you know like I'm I'm uh, not a fan of vaccine passports, and I'm fine telling people that. And I'm not a fan of identity politics, and I'm fine telling people that and telling them why I think those those ideologies lead to nihilism and a lack of meaning and and destructive human behavior and it's like <laughs> i'm not sitting here telling people that they all need to go to hell and i think terribly of them as people you know i'm i'm sitting here saying there's this problem in the way that a large number of people across the world are looking at life right now and we've had it before and we've seen where it leads yeah. and wake the f up yeah it reads so, hell on the 20th century exactly and so that's that's all i that's all i say you know and I've, i'm not saying anything that people like james Lindsay or other people yeah. don't say you know um but you know, okay my my dad was like well surprised it hasn't happened you know till now yeah well you know look there's <laughs> and he agrees with we, me he's we, like well yeah okay we're all for the right of association you know and i think you know any venue or whatever if they don't want to associate with someone that that's fine but i think the cowardly way that it's done that they can't even be upfront about what it is that they disagree is reprehensible but i also think i think it's just they're creating a culture where they they are shutting down dialogue they're they're going to stop people from having these really important conversations simply because they don't want to be associated with any ideas they disagree with so it's creating this divide. It's like, oh, well, I can't platform you. If I platform you, then that automatically means that I must agree with your ideas and the things right. that you're saying on Twitter. And it's like, no, dude, you could platform someone who you maybe agree with in some way, but don't agree with in another way. But that's how you build community is you bring the, the different viewpoints together so they can play together and, and the ideas can play together and we can grow. Well, and it's just it's like, I don't like your ideas, so fuck off. Yeah, well, that's really going to heal the country. That's really going to make things better, right? And and my songs are love songs, you know, yeah. they're sentimental. They're peaceful. I'm not sitting here playing, um, you know, protest songs. I mean, if I was, if that's what I, if I was like a 1960s musician, and everything I was doing was like, you know, power to the people yeah. and down with the government or whatever. Except, for, you know, today's version, I could understand. I could understand if I was going to get up there and and just sing a bunch of stuff that was anti whatever and they were they were maybe hey we don't need this in our place I, I could understand that more but it's like i'm there to sing um you know half originals which are mostly romantic and then half covers which are like justin timberlake and britney spears yeah. and, oh brother where art thou and you know it's like <laughs> it's, you're, it's like you're not being canceled for the art anymore it's you are literally being canceled for just a differing opinion that really has nothing to do with the music that you're playing so and i think businesses are are taking a terrible direction in deciding that they need to be some sort of arbiter of of truth or of opinion you know in 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 the world i mean i, I think ultimately it's like you as a business, whatever you do, you just need to do that thing sure. as well as you can and be moral about where you source your product. Yeah, well, it's not like you're calling for violence or anything like that. No. And if yeah. you were, that would be it. That would be different. You know, it would be understandable why a business would say, hey, we want no sensation with that guy. Right. But, but I'm sure I'm sure they take money from conservatives. I'm sure conservatives drink there and give them their. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
And it's like, just, and I don't even know if I consider myself conservative. I'm not even sure what that means. Like, we're moderates. We don't know either. We don't even like the labels. You know, he leans right. I lean left. Look, on, on certain things, I'm more conservative, and on other things, I'm I'm very liberal. So, and I think it's not impossible to hold conservative positions in some areas and liberal ones in other areas. And and I think all of these labels and stuff, it's not helping us right now. It's it's just further dividing the country. You need to pick a camp, and you know, fuck that. I don't believe in that shit. back to our earlier part of the conversation like the big thing that i wish people understood was like humans get corrupted when they're powerful so we have this system of government that keeps anybody from getting too powerful hopefully like if we're fine-tuning that system if we're doing a good job of maintaining that system that's its whole point is just to keep people from getting too powerful because we're not sure that we can do anything more than that we're not even sure that we can really like direct people what to do we're really just saying, okay, we're going to let you do pretty much whatever you want, and we're just going to keep any single person from getting too powerful because the alternative is for the government or whoever's in authority to step in and say, this is how you must act. This, this is moral, saying. and this cool. is what you must do. And like that gets bad super quickly. Yeah. I mean, churches do that, and that's fine, but churches don't have legal authority over yes. their their parishioners it's setting a bad precedent and exactly we agree we we don't see it heading anywhere good you know like i said it's going to shut down dialogue and it already is and the next thing you know you're going to have half the country not talking to the other half and boy i i don't want to see what that's going to lead to but i have a bad feeling you well know? this is your so. full-time your full-time gig right cecil yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it messes with basically the they, they're just yeah. like, you know, telling you you don't have the right to make money yeah. because they don't like a few or somebody, not even necessarily the business itself, but somebody who decided to complain to the business and whoever that person was yeah. decided that they well, got to take away financial opportunities from you. What's even crazier is now they're creating a system like that where it doesn't even matter what your like political ideas are anymore. It's going to be just based on whether or not you got these freaking shots. Right. Whether or not you're allowed to to make a living, whether or not you're allowed to work. Well, just be careful there, Dana, because there we we must be must be very yeah. careful about. Look, things. I'm not advising anyone to get it or not get it. I'm, I'm just saying, saying we're we are creating a culture in which we're we're it seems like we're we're segregating people based on this. Talk to your doctor. Yeah. Talk to your doctor. <laughs> YouTube does not allow Tim you to give medical it. advice. <laughs> but that's if it works for Tim Pool, it should work for yeah. us. But you know, I. Like I said, obviously businesses have the right to associate and stuff, and we have the right to criticize them and say, hey, we think the decision you're making is a bad one. Um, Like you said, they probably have conservatives who go to their place, who drink there, who hang out. Maybe those people should just stop supporting them, and I think maybe that's the best way we can even counter this. Don't give them your freaking money. Don't give them your attention. You know, if you're going to discriminate based on the jab, if you're going to discriminate based on, say, what I'm saying on on, what someone's saying on Twitter, and you don't just want to operate a freaking business. I w- I'll go to another establishment. And I don't know how else to resist it at this point, you know, because I don't want to force anyone to do anything either. And we're not those people. Right. Right. The- they didn't break the law in canceling me. I mean, we didn't have a contract. And yeah. so, you know, like they didn't break the sure. law and, yeah. and they didn't necessarily inflict or uh, impinge on my free speech either yeah. in, in the sense of they're not keeping me from speaking my mind, but, but they are contributing to, a, a movement a, a, a tide that we're seeing yeah. of businesses doing this. And I mean, frankly, I, I think we're also seeing that 
the government is encouraging businesses yes. to do this and which, it's a it's a hey this is a loophole oh boy like hey we, we maybe we haven't seen this before in the united states but other countries have seen it where essentially it's the businesses enforcing yeah. the totalitarianism Cor corporations are the loophole around the constitution which is exactly. what gay toad said on our on our last episode right right and and so i'm not sure what the answer is either other than yeah. other than i think we need to have a an increasingly large group of people who understand why that's not the answer yeah. and and why why people are are why it's alluring to people you know why this whole nihilistic kind of conclusion about life is alluring and then and that leads to well then the whole point of my life is for me to like have an identity that I can then posture against other people's identity and you know and that it's in group out group and um you know, I'm going to make certain that I win because it's power. And it's such a miserable to way to go through life. It's completely miserable. And they want us to be as miserable as they are. That's what it seems like to me. Well, you know, I mean, misery loves company. Loves it's an <laughs> adage, but yeah. it, it seems true. And I, and I think so as much as it's easy to get really mad at these people, um, and I do, I think what what we have to make certain that we're balancing this with is us showing them how much fun we're having. Yeah. How, much, we're like, doing how here. much more yeah. fun life is for us. When That's we what we're doing this. here. Like, Hey, you want to cancel, <laughs> you want to cancel Cecil? Well, we're going to say, Hey, Cecil, we'll give you a platform. We'll <laughs> let you talk and we'll let you say what you have to say if they don't want to let you. And I think culturally, that's what we have to do. It's the counterculture. It's the yeah. counterculture. If they want to cancel us, well, sure, whatever. Go do your thing and be miserable together. We're going to go over here and have fun, have a great time, have these awesome conversations. So, yeah. Yeah, then anybody that wants to watch it can watch it. And if yeah. they don't, don't. They don't have to. You know, it's, it is what it is. But stop trying to make us as miserable as you. And we don't want to join your cult. <laughs> Leave us alone. Right. I've got my own punch. It's got a specific, specific, specific Kool-Aid with my own flavor. Like I like my own flavor Kool-Aid. I don't need yours. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then they call us the crazy ones when it's like, we're not trying to force you to do anything or to live a certain way. You're trying to do that. You, I see. So I'm convinced some of these people, if they could, or if they had the balls and they knew that they could get away with it, would force that mask on us. Oh yeah. You know, it would It would inject us forcibly if they could. And, that's how scary some of them sound, but I don't know. I don't think, I don't think they're as much as the majority as, as say the hall of mirrors of social media and the mainstream culture makes it seem, you know, just look at the ratio of these things of these like really totalitarian posts, say on Twitter, right. Right. Kinda, it kind of makes it obvious. I think we're more the majority and they, the powers that be want to hide that obscure it. <laughs> they want us to feel isolated and alone. They want us to feel like we can't stand up. Yeah, I, I said this on because Unsafe Space had me on um, the, oh, cool. I, that Friday, uh, right after I got the cancellation thing. So it was it was super cool of them to do that. But I I posited this thought, and it sounds more like a dystopian novel than maybe what's actually true. But like, what if the what if the leftists who were out there really only made up like five percent of the population? Yeah. But they just they just did a good enough job of telling us and showing us and maybe manipulating certain things like votes or stuff like that Can all it takes allowed to say that i don't know but the point is like maybe they do a good enough job of those things to make it seem like it's right about half and half and oh we just barely lost this time you know when in truth they only have like five percent but that's that's how totalitarian movements happen man it really right. is mostly a small group of the radicals 
who are loud and forceful and violent. And what they do is they scare the majority of people into either compliance or silence, you know? And it's like very few, I think, even agree with the ideas. I think a lot of people are just too scared to say anything. And it's why we have to break ground. It's why people like us have to step first and say, look, guys, you know, if you can step up, you're not alone. And, and if you do, you will have support. You will have people, you know, who will rally behind you and, you know, even if your livelihoods get taken from you, we'll find a way. We'll help lift you up. You know, we'll start a freaking Kickstarter campaign or whatever the hell we have to do. You know, we'll have you on our show. Well, and as much as as much as to, as Twitter is part of this problem, it's also part of the reason that I have hope. You know, because sure. what Twitter does is is it's a it's a place where the whole point of of Twitter is talking about ideas. Yes, you know, I mean that's like what we get to do. And we get Stop to do that with people all over the world. Yeah. You know, even the three of us are having this conversation right now because, because we met, Twitter. yeah, appreciated our each other's thoughts enough. You know, just the words that we write are thoughts yeah. enough to then say, like, I want to be, um, you know, more in contact with that person and, and keep listening to what this person has to say. Yeah. And and so Twitter for me, um, I mean, I really only started using it consistently a year ago. You know, maybe. A month before George I started like last <laughs> I made one years ago in college and then just I'm like I can't keep up with more than two social media so but I just <laughs> well, I didn't even know I got that. so frustrated with Instagram and the shadow banning and Facebook too with the shadow banning that like I know Twitter is not too much better but I'm like all right I guess I'm going to use this platform more because I I can't get anyone to see anything on the others anymore because all my posts and stuff get buried so yeah well, and then the cool thing, I guess, about Twitter in the sense that we're still able to at least post as much as we are, is I was able to, when George Floyd happened, you know, see that very distinct difference between the videos that people were posting the day of, of a riot or of, you know, whatever was happening, social unrest, um, and then immediately see how that was portrayed in the media. Yes. So I could see like the real thing yes. and then I could see how the media t described it. And I could see how different those two things were. And for me, I mean, I've, I've never been left leaning. I've been kind of libertarian my whole life. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I ever like watched CNN or anything like that. Like it was not, I, I, I always kind of disliked their take on things, but that changed into, holy hell, these people are like, manipulating evil the world they're evil man. <laughs> they're charlie chester i mean that conversation with charlie chester like that Which one was that it was that, project, veritas. project veritas. They, charlie yeah. chester was the guy that they sort of honey potted with like oh, dates and yeah. got him to admit that they were uh, can we even say this stuff man? i'm not sure how much <laughs> we can say they were exaggerating certain things in order to we'll drive just, we'll, viewership using negative emotions we'll tell our guests who don't know and we talked about it before but just look up charlie chester and look up that project veritas leak and i think that should have been the biggest story of 2021 that's how important it is they that's also buried it and as soon as it came out the next day james o'keefe was banned from twitter yeah that's what got him kicked off and twitter. it's like wow that was like wow you see like a a real life example of direct collusion between twitter and and cnn right. or <laughs> it, watching the new york post get banned from yeah. twitter for running the hunter biden article crazy right? man yeah what like how you know and so i wonder like is the rest of the country aware that that even happened i don't think so man i don't think so i know there were a lot of people that said that didn't hear anything about the hunter biden laptop story at all 
And when they were told about it, they were like, gee whiz, had I heard about that before the yeah, election, I would have changed, changed my vote. Yeah. I would have voted for the other And guy. they knew that. Of course they knew that, which is why they buried it. why they buried it. And yeah. then they, they censored any sort of conversation about it. And they even made, I think, the link to uh, the video. You couldn't, you couldn't link to any of the content from the laptop from a lot of the socials, including Facebook. Uh, but yeah, they just... They do a really good job at squashing these sort of, you know, anti-establishment pieces of content, whether it's, you know, the Hunter Biden thing or um, discussions about, I can't even want to say it. Yes, the election. Discussions about the election. And and the shots. It's like there are certain opinions you're just not allowed to say. say. And and if you do say them on the air, you have to follow them up with like, oh, well. All these disclaimers or disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Don't cancel me, please. Yeah. And then even then, it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. But yeah, man. All right. Um, You want to play a song? Yeah, sure. This is all hit me. Okay, so whatever you do, you know, let's do it. Don't do it there. I'm just gonna do it. Do it. Can you guys hear that? All right? Can you? I know you've got your you're muted over there, but I just want to make sure. Thumbs up. Okay, cool. All right. So I'm gonna play a song uh, that I wrote after going through. Uh, I was I was married in my mid twenties and um, and I got divorced in my mid twenties. We were married for like three years, but I made some really close friends uh, after the marriage and um, after it ended. And so this song goes out to uh, Guillaume, and Guillaume's a Frenchman. Eldar is this Russian kid, and Carolina is a Bolivian girl. And um, I we were all going to school together. I was getting my master's, and I had met them all, and we. Uh, three of us ended up living together and they're just, they're wonderful friends of mine. So this song is called, Oh My Brothers. Yeah. 
such a beautiful homage to your friends man wow like it made me tear up a little bit actually because it made me think of some friends who i haven't seen in a while so this voice is awesome yeah it's very beautiful man i'm touched (laughs) (laughs) i am i am so i'm like yeah i know you get a little teary (laughs) yeah you know like i haven't there's a few friends i haven't seen in a while so yeah covid has been tough for that huh and covid and and the world like there are friends i haven't talked to as much just because it's like i don't know i I don't even want to start the conversation with them about everything that's going on in the world because i'm I'm not sure how they're going to come down on you know their opinions about it 
and I don't, it's like part of me doesn't want to even have that influence our friendship. And that, that may not be the right way to, for me to think about it, but it's like, you only have so much time and in your life. And it's like, do you want to go have this crazy deep conversation with every single person who means something to you? And it's, yeah. it's, it's a tough decision to make, you know, cause half the time, like we just want to be, we just want to be nice to each other and just want to be friends with each other and not worry about all of this other bullshit. But it's like the bullshit's there, you know. But it's there, and we, it's happening. We have to draw certain lines, and we're drawing those lines. And after we draw them, sometimes you will lose friends. You know, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. You lose, you lose friends. You can lose family members. You know, it's. And I mean, I think about, I think about the the times preceding a lot of the really bad things that happen in this world. You know, and I'm sure that human beings have gone through these same questions of like. How, how do you stand up in these in these pre-violence times? I mean, I, we don't know that that things are going to get really bad, but they could. I hope they don't, man. I hope, I hope they wrong. don't. I, I don't want them to. I don't want them to get there at all. You know, but in, and I think the only way to do that is finding some sort of way to communicate and and encourage each other in these times before they get violent. You know, and and exactly what we're doing, we need to. We need to, and I say this all the time on Twitter, but like we need to tell a better story. And yeah. every day I think like I need to do a better job telling the same story than I did yesterday. And I'm not exactly sure how to do that, um, but I'm going to try it every day because I think you're doing it, man. I think you're doing it. Well, I think I, you I hear are. it. I hear it. <laughs> well, thank you. I, yeah. That means a lot. And um, and and so that everybody knows, you know, the the outpouring of support after I was canceled was incredible. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I went on unsafe space with Carrie Smith and Carter Lauren, yeah. you know, that very day. And I've been listening to those two people for over a year, you know, and, and we are making new friends also. So there, there's definitely a silver lining to it, but there's a silver lining. And you know, like you said, there's, there's certain conversations that maybe we're afraid to have with certain friends and, you know, and I, we might have to have those conversations sooner than later, unfortunately, but. Well, know. so much of it, so much of it, I think is, is, is a mixture of, it's not just talking about politics. It's talking about, you know, how do you see yourself in this world? What do you think is the point of you being alive? You have to have that conversation First. for the rest of the political stuff to, to click, yeah. you know, or else people right. are just going to see it as like, you're just pushing your your views on me and you want me to take your side and it's just like no dude I, I want you i want you to see what i see and i want to feel seen just like everyone else wants to feel seen and it, it's a i think people like us are speaking because we're scared not just for ourselves we're scared for them we're scared for our friends and our family and we want them desperately to hear us because we know it's going to affect them too you know we're not just doing it because we're we're you know, concerned about our own well-being, we're doing it because we're concerned about theirs as well. So, well, I think we have all the tools. I mean, we have real examples in history where shit like this goes really bad. Yes, and then we also have the the carrot side of things. We have like, look at the joy that we find in life based on not looking at life this way, but looking at it something other than this way. I'm not. It doesn't even have to be this one specific thing, but it's something other than cynicism and nihilism and meaninglessness and you know you don't have to say you don't have to go to church and become a christian you know you don't have to join some specific faith or like sign up for the republican party but it's like this thing over here is taking people into hell into like a daily hell 
And we need to remind them of that. Both A, like that's not good for you. B, that's not good for society. And it's led, it's led to some terrible things. But C, like there's another option. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't have to do, you don't have to think that way, even though all of these people, and it's like reminding them that for whatever reason, and I'm not even sure, I, I keep saying it this way, like, I don't know how much of everything that we're seeing is orchestrated, or if it's just because the, the cynical victim narrative is so alluring to the victim part of our psyche. I think it's both. I think it's both. Yeah, I, I think so too. But you know, you're uh, like trying to tell people like, they're pushing this on you. Yeah. I mean, some aspect of our society is pushing this thing on you and it, you don't have to listen to it. You don't have to choose that. You can right. choose, choose another way. There is another way and right. we have to lead, right? We have to show them by example that there is another way, you know? Uh, yeah. And I think we are. I mean, yeah. I think this is what we're doing. <laughs> we're trying what a heavy to... episode. <laughs> <laughs> this episode has been awesome. Yeah, right? dude, so Cecil, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you, you know, for that beautiful song and, you know, I hope your friends realize how good of a friend that they have. And I feel like we just made a new friend too. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both, Daniel and Brentley. Thank you so much for having me on and you're doing great work. Um, I'm, I'm excited to sh share this with everybody so that, I mean, you know, at some point it's like all we're interested in is hearing people grapple with these tough ideas because it, it makes us more excited to grapple with those ideas, yeah. those ideas like we see them having fun grappling with it and we're like okay maybe this is a fun thing yeah. this isn't just like sitting in church and being told what to think this is this is a, a you know a, a, some sort of process that involves all of us together it's real it feels authentic it feels yeah it feels really authentic nothing forced here all right well that that calls it for our episode today guys thanks for watching um Shout out to Cecil. Go follow him on social media. Go support his music. Um, yeah, you want to shout out yes, your YouTube channel there again? It is. There we yeah, go. Cecil Charles. There you go. Walmart, Walmart time. Yes. Twitter, YouTube, uh, Instagram, and, and, Spotify. Yeah, Twitter is yeah. Twitter is the Cecil Charles because uh, I don't know if that was taken or what or if I just <laughs> messed up my marketing. Hey, it happens. But um, the Cecil Charles for Twitter and all the rest are Cecil Charles official. And us, you can find us at uh, Dangerous Ret on Twitter because you can't fit the whole word rhetoric in there. And on Instagram, we are Dangerous Rhetoric. And you can find us on our website, DangerousRhetoric.com. And we're Dangerous Rhetoric on YouTube. So like, subscribe, share. Like, subscribe, all share, that all that stuff. Cecil, thank you so much. We'll be in touch. We'll have you on again at some point, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thank have you both day, very dude. much. Yeah. You rock. Thank you.